Would you take a moment and let's just bow our hearts for a moment and pray together. Father, we are thankful for just all that we've talked about, that we've sung about today. Lord, there is power that we have available to us because of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the life he lived, the death he died, the burial he underwent, and Father, the resurrection, that uh, the life he lives to this very day. Father, thank you that it is your heart, it is your desire that not one should perish, but that we could come to life and forgiveness of sins and power through Jesus Christ when we just put our faith, when we simply trust that what Jesus Christ did on the cross and uh, that he died, was buried, and rose again, that he did that on our own behalf as the payment for our sins. Father, that when we simply trust in that, we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Father, as, as we're opening your word today, if there's one here, that does not know you as Savior. Father, that your spirit would convict and move and bring them to a knowledge of you. Father, for the rest of us, Father, for those of us that do know you as our Savior, Father, help us to be more and more identified with you, with your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, work powerfully in our time in your word this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So there's a little five-year-old in a Christmas, or in a Christmas, in an Easter, a Resurrection Sunday service and play. And you know, it's the little kids that often make those plays and those productions the most exciting, right? Because you never know what's going to come out of their mouths, what's going to happen, what's going to fall apart, who might fall apart So this little five-year-old named Brian, he had the pivotal verse in the Easter play that year. Luke chapter 24, verse 6. He is not here. He is risen. Well, in that moment, he forgot what the line was. He forgot the verse, and the director had to nudge him and whisper it to him. In a moment of confidence, as if that little boy had never forgotten his lines for a moment, he grabbed hold of that microphone and he confidently exclaimed, He's not here, he's in prison! (laughs) Well, quite the opposite. He was in prison. He was imprisoned by my sin. He was imprisoned and enslaved by the sin, the guilt, and the condemnation of all the world and the wrath of God poured out upon him. So much so that he was separated from all that is good, loving, and holy. From God the Father, he experienced separation for the span of three days and three nights as he was in the grave. But as we all know, as we've celebrated thus far today, the story did not end there because God's spirit of power, God himself raised Jesus from the dead. And as Jesus rose from the dead, he rose victorious over everything that had taken him to the grave. He rose in victory and power over sin and over the death that results from sin 
in the world. He rose in victory over all of those. And now God extends to us in his grace eternal life, the forgiveness of sins through what Jesus Christ accomplished. As I prayed just a moment ago, when you put your faith alone, that simply means trust in what Jesus Christ did for you, that he died on the cross, he was buried, and that indeed he rose again victorious over sin, God places that perfect substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, he writes it on your account. Any debt you owed is forgiven, it's wiped clean, and in that, God looks and sees you as his perfect, righteous, holy son, Jesus Christ. We become identified with Jesus Christ himself. Would you look with me this morning in the book of Romans? The book of Romans and chapter 6. There are so many places we could look at, so many angles that we could explore from God's word when it comes to the resurrection. Can't turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Pastor Kern has been doing a wonderful job of expositing that passage, and there's more to go. But there's so many impact points from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're looking at the fact, at the reality that because we are so thoroughly identified with Jesus Christ, with his death, burial, and resurrection, that we too, as Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, when you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you fill in the blank with your name. You too are risen with Jesus Christ. And as we're risen with Jesus Christ, that comes with a whole host of realities, of blessings, of gifts, that are afforded to us. So this morning, we're going to look at two big ideas that happen because we indeed are risen with Christ. I want us to see first that we are risen with Christ so we can see what happens as a result. We're in Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 3. Paul wants to make certain that everybody understands that whole idea of us being identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. He brings that out, and and it's so important to him that he says, do you not know? He questions it. This should be self-evident. But the question that they just asked in verse 1 of, hey, this whole God's grace thing, like all I have to do is believe and trust, isn't that awesome? Does Does that mean I can just go do whatever I want? Paul slows the train, ran, the train tracks on that one. And he says, but no, don't you know? There's more to this story. Do you not know, verse 3, that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Baptized is a Bible word. I already used a different word in its place earlier. Did you hear me talking about that we have been so thoroughly identified with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That is what the Bible word baptism means. To be baptized is to be identified with that. The often illustration is the idea of a cucumber 
being baptized or immersed into that briny solution, and that cucumber becomes so thoroughly identified with the dill and the garlic and all of the brine of that, that the cucumber transforms into what? A pickle, all right? We have been pickled by Jesus Christ. We have been so thoroughly identified with him that when, when we think of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, that it was you as well. And so Paul establishes that, verse 4, he kind of says the same thing again. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism, through identification into his death. Get this, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, just as he rose up, guess who else rose up? You and you. This is like Oprah. And you raise up, and you raise up, and you raise up. Even so, we also should walk in the newness of life that we have in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Can we look at scripture and say, indeed, I am risen with Christ? Yes, we can. Now the question comes, so what? So what? What does that mean for me? First this morning, I want to get this one big idea. If you're taking notes, it is this. Because I am risen with Christ, I am dead to sin. Because I am risen with Christ, I am dead to sin, but alive to righteousness. I am dead to sin, I am alive to righteousness. We'll pick this apart in two different ways. First, this idea of being dead to sin We recognize this. Sin no longer holds power over me. The power that sin has, think about being caught in the grip of something that you know to be wrong, something that you know not to be good, and you don't want to do it, but you do it anyway. And that that cycle, oh, I'm caught, I'm, I'm in this oppressive grip of sin. The Apostle Paul emphatically states, because we are in Christ and Christ is risen over sin, you too are risen. You are dead to sin. Sin no longer holds power over me. Let's work through chapter 6 of Romans here, and we can look lots of places, about three different verses that we're going to pick out here this morning. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Paul says, knowing this, that our old man, that is the very thing that caused us to sin, our flesh, our intrinsic bent away from, from God himself. That old man was crucified. When something was crucified, was it alive and kicking when it was done with it? No. It's dead. If something is dead, it no longer has power. It no longer holds sway over anything. Our old man was crucified with him. 
continue on. In order that the body of sin, there's sin, the body of sin, the old man, the flesh, the power of sin in me might be what? Done away with. I think of an old medieval king off with his head, done away with him, away from me. That is what we have in Christ. That sin might be done away with. It holds no influence or power any longer. Continue on in the verse. That sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We were slaves of sin. It held power over. It held authority over us. And here Paul says, no longer, no more. Not today, Satan. Look at verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been, hey, VCR day, having been been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over power. Do you see all these power words? All of these authority words? Sin no longer has dominion. Well, it says death no longer has dominion. What are the wages of sin? What causes death? Sin. Death no longer has dominion. And sin, which leads to death, no longer has dominion. Look with me over in verse 22. Over in verse 22, uh, the apostle continues, says, but now having been set free from sin, There are so many passages we could point to, but just right here in one train of thought, the Apostle Paul establishes again and again and again that sin no longer has to hold power over you. I'm reminded of the book of Revelation where we get pictures of the throne room of God. And in chapter 1, as, as, as John is transposed there, and, and he's getting a, a picture, an image of the throne room of God, he sees this image of Jesus Christ himself. And in verse 17 of chapter 1, you can take this as a note, but look on the screen there. I mean, imagine this sight that he saw. It says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Who are we talking about? This is Jesus Christ himself. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Hades is the the place of the dead. The grave, we could say. He says, I hold the keys over that and death. And we already made that connection that we have death no longer has power. Death no longer has dominion. Well, why was death here in the first place? Death was here as a direct result because of sin. And now we see at the end of all, the consummation of all things, Jesus Christ, he says, I'm alive. I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. And he stands there in the very throne room of God holding the keys. And he holds the keys to the grave 
and death. Meaning that he holds the key to that which ever took us to those places in the very first place. In the very beginning, he holds the key over sin. Because he was without sin. And he lived without reproach. And his perfect life that he lived, he substituted on my behalf. But that very power is what he imputes and lays on my account because I put my trust in what he did alone for me. He puts that on my account. That perfect life he lived in submission to the Father is afforded to me through grace right in this very moment. That sets me free from the power, the sway of sin in my life. It's powerful imagery because think about a time that maybe you were struggling with something, a burden, a weight, a habit, a thought pattern. Who knows what it could be? And we've all felt what the pull of that sin can feel like in our lives. It's like a weight strapped, a chain strapped around our neck, pulling us down amidst tossing, chaotic waters. You can't catch your breath. You feel as if it's going to do you in and be the end of you. That is the yoke of sin that is around all of our necks without Jesus Christ. But we have Jesus Christ, the key holder, that inserts the key and unlocks the chain of sin leading to death. And he unlocks us and he sets us free from the dominion and the power of sin in our lives. In 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation was proclaimed in America. The word spread from Capitol Hill down into the valleys of Virginia and the Carolinas and even into the plantations of Georgia, Mississippi, and Alabama. The headlines read, Slavery Legally Abolished. However, the greater majority of slaves in the South, they went right on living as if there had never been any emancipation at all. They went on living like they had never been set free. In fact, when one Alabama slave was asked what he thought of the great emancipator whose proclamations had gone into effect, he replied, I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln except that they say he set us free. And I don't know nothing about that neither. How tragic. A war was being fought A document had been signed. Slaves were legally set free. Yet most continued to live out their lives without knowing anything about it. They had chosen to remain slaves, though they were legally free. Even though emancipated, they kept serving the same master throughout their lives. Yet so it is with many believers today. They have been set free, yet they have chosen remain slaves to the same strongholds that have gripped them all of their lives. Jesus Christ holds the keys to the grave and to death. He unlocks us. The power of sin need not 
hold us down any longer. Because I am risen with Christ, I am dead to sin. But we're not just dead to sin, we're alive to righteousness. Here we see that God's operating grace produces holiness within me. See, we're not just saved to stop sinning, to sin no longer. We're saved for something far greater than just neutrality. We're saved for righteousness and holiness, for communion and fellowship with God. God's operating grace produces holiness within me. We're still here in Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 13. We see throughout this whole passage the reality of our identification with Christ. The sin, it's set free, no more power, but then the life that we're set aside unto. Verse 13, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Why not? Because you're free from it. You don't need it. You don't belong to that. You have no place in that anymore. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. This is interesting. We're going to see this teased out in in lots of different passages. You can look at this just in the same vein as we're talking about that Jesus Christ has set us free. He holds the keys to the power of sin over our lives. He also holds the keys and he sets us free from the law. He sets us free from the very thing that pointed out that indeed we were sinners in need of his saving grace. He sets us free from the righteous requirements of that law, and he operates in our lives according to his grace. There's so many definitions of grace that we can give. One of the oft, most oft given ones is that grace simply means a free, unmerited gift. At Christmas time, I receive a gift. I didn't do anything. I didn't earn it. Somebody paid for it and they offered it to me and I simply receive it as such. If I paid for it, was it really a gift? No, that's called a purchase. With salvation, there was a purchase. It was Jesus Christ who purchased us through his own life, through his sacrifice on the cross. But he operates according to grace and he extends it to us freely as a gift and we simply need to receive it. And this is what Paul is drawing out here. We're not we're we're set we're set free from the power of sin and we're set free from the law that just keeps pointing out, "Hey, you're a sinner. You did that wrong." We're set free and alive to God's grace. I gave you the common Sunday school answer of what is grace? It's unmerited favor, yes. Do you know one of my favorite definitions of grace? Grace is God doing for mankind what mankind could never do for himself. By grace are you saved through faith. Mankind could never save themselves, could never crawl up out of the pit of sin and separation from God. 
but by grace. God stepped in and did what I was incapable of and what you are incapable of and every soul in this incapable of it, but he did it on my behalf. And now, as I've come to him and I've put my trust in Christ and I'm identified with him and his resurrection power is my resurrection power, I am dead to sin and alive to righteousness. He produces his holiness within me. Go over to verse 18. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 22. Having been set free from sin, this is like a refrain. I've heard this before. And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. He produces holiness within us. Philippians chapter 1 verse 11 says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. Jesus Christ working in our heart and our life changes our life. God's goal was never for us to just not sin, but it was to rather run towards him and rest in him and walk with him, allowing him to produce his fruit of righteousness and holiness, as we read there in Philippians and in Romans chapter 6. And I'll tell you what, when we see this happen, the world notices Because on my own, you call my mom up at this very moment and you say, hey, Pastor Lynn, what was he like as a kid? Man, there was a set of keys operating in my life and it was that key of sin and death. I was an ornery little devil. Still am. Just on God's side now. But God stepped in. God changed me. The person that you're looking at today is not the person I was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, because through faith, I've come to God, and I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. But beyond that, because I am saved, because I know the Lord, I want to walk with God, and I go to the Lord And I seek him and I walk with him and I ask him, Lord, change me. Lord, let me walk in the reality of all that you have in me through Christ. Many of us have watched the show called The Chosen before. Mary Magdalene has a sordid history and an awful past, a very oppressive past. And she has this quote. We put it on the screen for you. When they're pressed... She says this about Jesus Christ. I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. I live in the world of theology. I love dissecting the difficult 
things of the word of God. I love studying apologetic frameworks and all sorts of things and using big words and fancy things and reading big books that collect dust. I love it. It's exciting to me. But that's not what I'm sharing with you this morning. What I am sharing with you is that I have a God that changed my life. I was one way, now I am different. I can give you all the reasons in the world why I believe in Jesus Christ, why I believe in the word of God. But none is greater than the power and the transformation and the testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. That is everything and all I have to give you this morning. Jesus Christ changes us completely. The first thing that we saw here this morning is that I am dead to sin and I am alive to righteousness. Well, our next point takes that even further. And now we see that I am dead to not only sin, but I am dead to myself. I am dead to self, but I'm alive to Christ. I am dead to sin, but I am alive to Christ. What do I mean when I say I am dead to myself? I mean this, my selfish desires no longer control me. My selfish desires no longer control me. We're next going to the book of Galatians together. Would you turn to Galatians chapter 5? Galatians chapter 5, it presents some, uh, the, the context of where we're at. There's this contrast that's presented. And it, the, it's talking about what comes naturally to somebody. And we say those, that's the flesh. Paul talked about that in Romans 6. That was the old man, this body. And Paul says that the, the, the flesh, it has things that are evident and it shows when that is the controlling influence in working in our lives. And he contrasts that, he juxtaposes that with a different way, a way that is called of the Spirit, a way that is empowered by the very resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It is that Spirit, that power that produces change and a different reality in our lives. And in verse 24, he's talking in the context about that spirit, that powerful spirit that we have. In verse 24 says this, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. My own way, what I want, it's dead. Just like all the other crucified words and done away with no dominion. It's gone. But this brings out that whole idea, the very desire of it. I have freedom over through Christ if, when I'm willing to submit my will to him, I can walk in that freedom where I am not held in the bondage of my own sinful appetites my own willful desires. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection or the out-resurrection, the out-working from the dead. Paul says that these, the, this suffering of, above all else, he did not want what he wanted for himself. It was rather what Christ wanted for him. Let me illustrate this and, and share with you another uh, example from my childhood. This was back when I was certain that I was going to change the scientific community uh, forever. I was probably 11 or 12 years old, and I decided I was going to do a science experiment. Uh, this is really kind of funny because I'm a very artsy person. Uh, at that time, science uh, scared me. I was not good, but I had a bug that day and decided science was it for me, and I was going to do an experiment. I don't remember exactly what it was. I don't remember the hypothesis that I had. All I remember is that it involved vegetable oil, coffee filters, and a two-liter empty soda bottle. I don't know what I was working with with all of that. But I know I needed a utility knife, all right? And that utility knife was something I did not have on my own. So I got all of my supplies, and I was ready to go, but I had to ask for help. So I did go to my stepfather, and I said, can I have a utility knife? And uh, he did, he reluctantly, I will say reluctantly, gave me his utility knife. And he said, be careful, don't cut towards yourself. Now let me tell you something about this. I did not have a very God-honoring attitude towards my stepfather at that time of my life. In fact, there was a lot of enmity, which means fighting and animosity between he and I. If he said, the grass is green, I would say, nah, the grass is blue. Why? Just because it was the opposite. If he liked football, I hated football. If he said yes, I said no. If he said no, I said yes. How do you think I responded when he said, don't cut towards yourself? Be careful. I don't need to. I, of course I'm careful. I can cut towards myself. And so certainly, I was going to be vindicated, and I was going to come out victorious over this, and everything was going great until it wasn't. As I was cutting along that towards myself with that super sharp knife, that uh, coming across the crest of that two-liter bottle, my knife slipped off the track, and you know where it found itself? In the fleshy part of my hand. I determined, I said, nope, I'm going to do this my way, no matter what. I bear in the palm of my hand today the marks of doing it my way. I'll tell you, it bled really, really bad. And I tried to cover things up on my own. I really, I tried to take care of it until I couldn't anymore. And literally the sink was filling with blood. And I finally had to break down and ask the very person that I did not want to ask help for, I had to ask him, I had to ask him for help. I visibly bear in my hands to this day, you can afterwards ask me, I'll show you. I bear the marks in my hands of doing things my way. 
Jesus Christ bears in the marks of me doing things my way. He bears the marks in his hands of you doing your things your way. And the Apostle Paul says, it doesn't have to be that way. We are set free. He crucified our sinful passions, lusts, and desires. We do not have to be bound by our own way to the praise of his glory. I am dead to myself, meaning my selfish desires no longer control me. But remember, it says that I am alive to Christ. By this we mean my life is consumed. My life is encompassed in the totality of Jesus Christ. I'm not just set free from doing it my way, my own willful, selfish desires, but I am set free unto him unto his way, unto his reality and his working out in my life. Galatians chapter two, just a couple pages over. Galatians chapter two. This is powerful. This encapsulates VCR day. Galatians 2.20, Paul proclaims. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I thought this was Resurrection Sunday. Why have we talked about crucifixion so much? Because you got to die before you can stand again, before you can resurrect. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in or of the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. This verse is so, so powerful. I have been crucified with Christ. As Christ put his arms and spread out, stretched on that cross and eventually he hung his head and gave up his spirit. Picture it as if that was you, that is you on the cross, and you're dying. And just as Christ no longer hangs on that cross any longer, for he was buried, and he spent three days and three nights separated from his Father. But he rose again victorious. So indeed, I was dead. I died. But yet I'm standing here alive. It's not me that you see, it's him. He is the one living in me, both to do and to will of his good pleasure. That's Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Christ is our all, our consuming all in all. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Take note of these. You don't need to turn there. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. There's only one thing that I can brag about, and that's Jesus. 
He is my all in all. Romans chapter 6 verse 11 says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says it most succinctly in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. That's it. For to me, to live is It's Christ. The life that I now live, I live by the power and faith in Jesus Christ as he lives in and through me. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is great gain. I want to close our time together by sharing a song with you that this song has been powerful. This song has spoken to my heart through years And it's simply the very words we read in Galatians chapter 22. I have been crucified with Christ. But I'm not dead on a tree. I'm alive. I'm alive.
never do ourselves. Father, thank you for the life that I have in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, my deepest prayer is for one here today that may never have trusted you in their sa- as their Savior, that today they would do so. Father, whether it's a child, whether it's an adult. Father, for those of your children who are here today, Father, may these truths sink deep into our hearts. Father, might you write your life in our lives. Father, for us who are struggling in the grip and the power of sin, Father, let us walk in the freedom and the power of the cross of your resurrection. Father, might we be your life and light to the world around us. The praise is yours, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.